Good morning. This is your first warning. Please take your... I'm just kidding. <laughs> Welcome to Glenlock Baptist Church this morning, and uh, we're thankful you were able to get out and join us for worship. Um, a couple things I want to mention as we get started. Uh, number one being that tonight at 7 o'clock we have a deacons meeting. Um, tonight at 7 o'clock for any deacons um, who are active right now, there's a meeting tonight at 7 um, and then I want to mention just our normal um, three things we've been mentioning recently. One being the Galentine's event for any girls 6th through 12th grade um, who are interested in that. That is February the 10th um, at 6 o'clock in the student building. Um, there's going to be food, crafts, all kinds of stuff. It's free, um, so invite friends if you would like to. If you have any questions about that, you can see myself or Sarah Beth. Um, also, our kids' February Fantastic, which is put on by Word of Life. Uh, this is an event for those in first through fifth grade. Um, it's an all-day Saturday thing, including a lot of games and um, playing, but also there's a message and time of worship together. Um, it's a really cool event, and so um, there's a sign-up sheet in the back and some information, uh, but that's February the 11th. If you have any questions about that, you can see me. Um, but the sooner you can let me know, the better, because the cheapest rate to sign up is about to end. So if you, if you could let me know um, as soon as possible, that would be fantastic. Um, and if you need any financial help with that, it is $30, but we have people who are willing to donate, so don't let that be a reason not to come, okay? So um, we would love to have you join us for that. And then finally, on February the 12th, we're going to have a new slash prospective member luncheon. So if you, are, if you recently joined the church or you're interested in joining, um, we're going to have a, a new member luncheon that day uh, on February the 12th right after church. So there will be information regarding membership, ministry, all the things at Glenlock. Um, so we would love for you to be a part of that and learn more about what our church um, has going on and uh, answer any questions you may have. So as we get started um, with worship this morning, um, Mr. Paul's going to come and he's going to read our call to worship. Good morning. This is a wonderful, wonderful rainy day outside. And I just want to say good morning again, loved ones. I had a dear friend of mine pass away a number of years ago, and he would say that to people all the time. He would say, I love you. And the reason he would say that, he would say, because I love Jesus. I miss him, he was my dad. But this morning, I'd like to read to you from Isaiah, the 40th chapter, and I'm gonna read just uh, four or five different verses, not necessarily in a row. And starting out with uh, verse number three, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness and make straight a highway for our God in the desert. In verse number five, and the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse number eight, the grass withers the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will never lose their strength and he will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings of eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not become faint. Couple of verses that I just want to stress on in verse 28, the latter part of it. There is no limit to the understanding of God. 
He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the weary. There's no limit to God's understanding as what we need in life. And the most important thing is, is we need him. We don't need anybody else but him. Number two, we can expect from him an unwavering and unending grace, which he provides for each of us to follow in his footsteps. And then at the beginning of verse 28, scripture is reading there, do you not know? Have you not heard? There's two very important questions right here. Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? Will be and always will be. In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus is asking each of us today two questions just like he asked Peter. They're similar. But what do you say about me? He is asking each and every one of us today, who do you say that I am? Are we responding just as Peter did? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Also, are we acknowledging Jesus, that he is Lord, Lord of this universe? Our Lord Jesus, everything written in Scripture is the Word of our God and has been and will remain with Him. May we pray. Throughout the ages, Lord, Your Word has always been true. It always will be and will be forevermore. As we venture out into this world today and in the days to come, from Your Scripture, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, Lord Jesus, because you are our strength, our redeemer. You are the son of our living and everlasting God. Amen. Go ahead and stand up if y'all want to.
waving at me at the back and I know what that means now that sounds much better doesn't it hey what a blessing students thank you so much um yeah uh, 
I could continue singing. Thank you, Brooke, for leading. Um, I guess it's time to preach now. I was kind of lost in that. You, and, and, you know, someone wants to find worship that way, that, that when you're truly worshiping, you, you, you lose a sense of yourself and, and kind of where you are because all of your thoughts and all of your, your mind, everything's directed toward God. So, in, in, in a sense, to worship is to lose yourself in thinking and singing of the awe and the majesty of God. So let me gather my thoughts here because someone has to preach the message. Uh, we're going to John chapter 17 in our Bibles. This is week two, so I'll give you a moment to turn there. John chapter 17, this morning, verses 9 through 19. The high priestly prayer of Jesus, the prayer of Jesus we have here recorded for us in John's Gospel the audible, intentional prayer of Jesus as his disciples are listening in. So we know that since that is the case, Jesus is preparing both himself and the twelve for what is upcoming. Now what is upcoming? We saw last week the hour is here. The hour of his suffering the hour of his trial, the hour of his crucifixion, and the hour of his resurrection and glorification. This climactic hour that stands at the very center of human history and is to dominate my life and your life as well. So week 2 of John chapter 17, I'm going to begin with verse 9. Jesus says, I ask on their behalf. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine. They belong to you, Father. Verse 10, all things that are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And I know, as I said last week, all the thines and thines and mine, you know, it's, it's my job to kind of swim through some of that and, and give some clarity here. Look at verse 11. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them in thy name. The name, as they just sang about, which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So he's praying at this point in time for the twelve, but for you and me, who are also followers of Jesus, there are implications, and this is relevant, because now he still lives to make intercession for us. So let's not think, well, this just applies to the twelve, it doesn't apply to me. My whole point today is that it does apply to us, even though specifically he's praying at this moment for the twelve who are listening, and we'll say more about that in a moment. Verse 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me. I guarded them. Not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to thee. These things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I love that, for them, for us, Jesus says, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. We'll stop there and then next week we'll conclude with the last section of this Great prayer. Father, thank you for our time together already this morning that we can find unity and grace in singing about the name that is above all names. And for 
that worship and for that fellowship and unity, Jesus has already prayed. We see that in this text. Help us all to personalize this in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our practical living. How do we live out, Father, what Jesus prays for here? We pray that you would show us in this text the help that you give us in Jesus for Uh, If we're honest, we must recognize that we desperately need your grace. We desperately need your help to be able to um, be obedient to the call you've placed on each one of our lives. So, Father, lead us in that. Guide us in that this very morning as we uh, look at John chapter 17. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, the second part of John chapter 17 brings us to verses 9 through 19. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front that this morning you need to be afraid. You need to be very afraid. (laughs) Because I noticed eight actions. Eight. So did you eat your Wheaties today? Pastor Neil has eight points that he's going to make this morning from this section in John chapter 17. And it's all about what Jesus does as our Savior and our High Priest on our behalf. I noticed as I worked through this this week that we have in Christ the help that we need. We have in Christ the sufficient help that we need. The help we need God provides in Jesus. And then the help that we are called to give to other people, God has also provided in Jesus. So here's what we have. We have grace coming into our lives through Christ and then grace flowing out of our lives through Christ. We need to be really good at both receiving grace and giving grace. And I see what Jesus prays for here is giving us an inside insight into how God feels and how God works and what God has done on our behalf. In Christ. So one of the things I want to say from the very beginning is that you and I need help. I mean, last week we, we, we had several truths about God that, that He is to be glorified in all things and on and on and on. I'm not going to regurgitate last week's message, but what I will say is this, that, that you and I desperately need God's grace. We desperately need God's help. And what God has provided in here is the help that we need, but we have to first and foremost recognize our great need for grace. One of my favorite stories about a man named G.K. Chesterton. In the early 1900s, he was a journalist, a British journalist. And the London Times sent to a few of the most popular, well-known authors in London at that time, they sent out a, a question, and the question basically said this, what is wrong with the world? Please respond and sum up what you think is wrong with the world. G.K. Chesterton sent his reply back to the editor, and it went like this, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton recognizing that, as someone is singing here lately, it's me, it's me. I'm the problem, it's me. Does that ring a bell? G.K. Chesterton said it in the early 1900s, but from the very beginning we are all called to recognize that the biggest problem that you and I have is our own sinfulness, our own fallenness, our own depravity. And unless you come to the realization that, that you too have sinned and fallen short of the glory and the grace of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one. You will, not, you will hear what I'm saying about Jesus, and your response will be, eh, I'm good. But the reality is we're not good. So let's get into the eight things that we're never going to finish, right? You know me well. Number one, In this passage, I see Jesus is praying for his disciples. And the flow that we're going to have here is Jesus is praying, he's glorifying, he's keeping, he's unifying. That's where we're going with this. The focus is on Christ and what he is doing for his followers. He's praying for his disciples. And what difference should that make? All the difference in the world. 
How many times have you said to someone else, hey, I don't feel like I can ask, will you go ask for me? We did this all the time as kids. Hey, go ask your mom if I can spend the night. Have you heard that one before? Look at what Jesus says in verse 9. I ask on their behalf. Who is asking on their behalf? It's Christ who is one with God. Very God of very God. Co-equal, co-eternal. Listen, the, the, this makes all the difference in the world that we have Christ as our intercessor, Christ as our asker, Christ as our helper, Christ as our advocate, Christ pleading our case before the Heavenly Father. That's oneness, that's perfection. That truth by itself should encourage us and strengthen us. This past Tuesday, a lady pulled through our food pantry. She was sitting, well, she wasn't driving. She was sitting on the passenger side. She opened the door as we were putting groceries in, and she looked at me. She says, could, could you pray for me just a second? I said, yes, ma'am. So I asked her what her need was. I had a brief prayer. And then I said to the lady, I says, you know what? I want to thank you for asking me to do that because in, in this moment today, I needed that prayer. I needed to pray that prayer. And what I was trying to communicate to her is that I'm also a person in need of prayer because I too have flaws and weaknesses and stresses and all these things. So so what I'm driving home with this particular point is how encouraging it is when we know that other people are praying for us. Other people are praying for us. We're called to pray for one another. Every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., there's a small group that gathers in this church to pray for us and our service. That's encouraging to me. But as encouraging as it is for us to know that other people are praying for us, multiply that by infinity, and that ought to be the encouragement we draw from the fact that Jesus Ask on our behalf, and if the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much, then how much does this prayer on our behalf avail? Jesus gets everything that he asks for. So that means there is nothing in this prayer that is not confirmed, and all God's promises are yes in Christ. Number two, Jesus is also glorifying himself through his disciples. This comes up later in the prayer. It's been mentioned earlier in the prayer, but I want to show you in verse 10 an amazing truth. In verse 10 he says, All things that are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Jesus says, I have been glorified in these 12 followers of mine. Now, wait a second. (laughs) At this point in time, these guys don't seem to be bringing very much glory to Christ. I mean, they're flawed, they're failed, they've got doubts, they've got fears. We know that Peter is going to deny him three times. They're all going to flee and scatter, but that's not the point. They are already reflecting in their frail lives the glory of Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, and they're hearing this, I have been glorified in them. This is only the beginning of how they will reflect the glory of Christ and all of his attributes in their lives. They will continue to grow in their capacity to bring Jesus glory. God is at work in them. They're a work in progress and process, and God will continue to work in them. Paul later tells us, God is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Paul later says that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, anything we do should be all for his glory. 
So the shift has already begun in the lives of the disciples. What shift is that? The shift from thinking that the whole world revolves around me to the reality that the whole world revolves around God and Christ and His glory. That's what we would call or could call a Copernican shift. Now, who was Copernicus? He was the man who realized and communicated that everything doesn't revolve around the earth. Everything actually is revolving around the sun. And that was a monumental shift in the history of humanity. And that's what's taking place in the lives of the disciples. Like you and me, they grow up very self-oriented and very self-sufficient, and God is breaking all that down and bringing into their lives the capacity to glorify not themselves, but Christ. So they are going to have the opportunity, for example, to become poor in spirit. They're going to have the opportunity to mourn. They're going to have the opportunity to be gentle and to hunger after righteousness and to be merciful and pure in heart and peacemakers and suffer for the kingdom. All that's in the Beatitudes. They're going to have the opportunity to glorify Jesus. They're going to have opportunity for, for other people to look at their lives and see that they are reflecting the love and the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's why at times in our church and at times in churches that I've attended, we have sung what I think is a very helpful song. In my life, Lord, be glorified. You ever heard that chorus? Be glorified. In our church, Lord, be glorified today. Let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good works and do what? Glorify glorify the Father. How, how can people like me and you reflect God? Well, he has prayed that that would happen. He comes and he says, they've been glorified. I have been glorified in them. And it continues on. Number three, you got one and two? Jesus is praying. Jesus is glorifying. Number three, Jesus is keeping his disciples. He's keeping them. He's not getting rid of them. Now, there was one that it was foreordained that he would be lost, and that was Judas. And that's a whole other theological story that I'm not going to open up this morning. But look at verse 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them. I was keeping them. Guarding, protecting, watching. Now, as a parent, I know from personal experience that good child care is hard to find. Who's going to keep your children? That's a serious issue. You don't want any of them to get lost. I mean, I went Thursday to visit my former eighth grade. Georgia history teacher, Ms. Frances Goodson. Some of you already know that. Some of you saw that. She's reflecting on all her years of teaching. And one thing she remembers is that they took a trip to the Capitol and they lost two of the students. And it had been so long ago, Mr. Staples was the principal. That gives you some history. But they eventually found those students. Why does that stand out? Because it is traumatic to lose someone that you're responsible for and someone that you care about. But let's know this about Christ. Uh, there's a hymn that we've sung that I love. L here it is. And I'm going to move on. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children and in his arms, he carries them all day long. Our shepherd will guard us, protect us, keep us until the very end. You are secure in Christ. Listen, this is a dangerous fallen world, and this world will hate you. Brace yourself. Be ready. I saw a guy with a t-shirt on this week. It said, I used to be a people person. Then other people ruined it for me. 
This is a tough world. The whole reason we're in John chapter 17, I think, is that back in the summer at youth camp, we were in the book of Jude, and the book of Jude emphasized that God is keeping us and that he will keep us until the very end. He will keep us and guard us throughout all of time and keep us in his care until the very end. And that rang a bell with John chapter 17. Then half a year later, here we are reminding ourselves, he is going to keep us in his name. We are, we are in the world. We're not of the world. And this is dangerous and difficult calling, but he is going to keep us in his name. He's keeping his disciples. Number four, he's unifying his disciples. Look at this prayer in verse 11. That they may be one even as we are one. That they may be one even as we are one. Christ is praying for unity among his, his, his followers. That we are a body, we're a building, we're a family, we're a flock, we're a field. And I love it when we all come together and the lyrics are on the screen and we're all finally on the same page, singing the same note. And it's about Christ and it's about God. Listen, do not let this world squeeze you into its divisive, demanding, petty roles. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Based on this passage, there are only two categories of people. Those people who are of Christ and those people who are not of Christ. His followers and then the world. It's either sheep or goats, wheat or tares, believers or unbelievers. So we have got to be diligent, Paul says, to protect and preserve the unity of the Holy Spirit so that the world may know the love and the unity and the beauty within God and that God sent Jesus to become so important that ultimately nothing else matters other than the fact that He is Lord. Getting rid of and mortifying all self-pity and the lust and the vengeance and the greed and the envy and the retribution and the self-justification, all that junk that the world constantly feeds us we rather are fed by Christ so that we will be unified as his church. We are family. Number five, he's filling his disciples. Look at verse 13. He says, Now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made what? Full in themselves. Why is he praying to the Father in verse 13? Why has he come to thee? Why is he speaking these things in the world at this time? So that ultimately the joy that God has can be full in us. He is, he is filling his disciples with joy. Notice how he does it. He tells them in advance what's going to happen so that after it happens, they can look back in confidence and rejoice that God really is working all things together for good. That God's in control. Earlier in the, the teaching point in 14 through 16, he said it's kind of like childbirth. When, when, when the pains come and the travail comes, there, there's, there's sorrow and there's, there's difficulty, but then once the child comes later on, there's, there's rejoicing and no one takes your joy away from you. What's he talking about? He's talking about the path to joy. It's going to go through sorrow, through death, through suffering. But on the other side is resurrection and glory and hope. And a joy unspeakable that no one can take away. He's filling them with joy that transcends circumstances and difficulties and people issues and all the things of life. He's, he is filling them up with his joy. And the, all that he teaches and all that he does is meant to give us this joy of the Lord which is our strength. This joy of the Lord that no one can take away. He is filling his disciples 
with the joy that he has. Number six. You still with me? This is what we're doing. These are, these are just the headlines, okay? These are just the headlines. This is the news roll, and these are the headlines. And if you want to read more of the article, you click on it, and you go more deeply into each particular thing. Headline number six, if that's really where we are, and it looks like it's where we are. Jesus is guiding his disciples. He's guiding us as he guided them. Look at what he says. I have given them your word, the truth. What guides us today is the light of the truth. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against God. The word of God is a, is a light. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And, and, and we hide his word in our hearts so that we'll know the way through this dark and difficult world. This world can lead to shipwreck. This world has pitfalls. But he is guiding them because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the light. And they may not have all the light that they want, but, but they've got enough light to make the next step. One step at the time, one day at the time, remembering the truth to combat the lies and misconceptions of the world. He's guiding them through this prayer so that they can be salt and light in a difficult world by shining on his behalf. He's guiding them. He is the truth. I love what Henri Nguyen said at this point. You can't see the whole path ahead, but there's usually enough light to take the next step. What is your next step? How are you going to choose? The only safe path is to allow the Holy Spirit to establish convictions through His Word. Through His Word. He is guiding. Look at number 7. He's sending. He's sending. In verse 15, we have this wonderful truth. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Keep them. I think keep um is the southern interpretation of that verse. Keep them. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from... The, so we are still in the world. Hey, wait, Jesus, take us with you. <laughs> no, not so fast. I'm going to keep you in the world for a reason. Look at verse 18. As Christ was sent into the world, here it is, Christianity, salvation from outside of us. God comes down to us in Christ. He was sent into the world. He was not of the world, but sent into the world, the incarnation, the salvation that he brought. He, he was sent into the world, so now he has sent us into the world. Now we know why he prays for his disciples and not the world. They've got to be different from the world. They've got to be separate from the world in order to make a difference in the world with the mission that he's going to give them. I love the word too, sent. We don't sit passively by, twiddling our thumbs, saying, you know, if they want this, they come get it. No. God came into the world. He sends us into the lives of other people. It is an incarnational ministry of going and serving and working he is sending his disciples right through the teeth of the defense to, to announce and to share the good news. We're not to escape this. But with courage and faithfulness and joy, go and make disciples. Here's how we think through this. How was he sent? That's how I'm sent. How was he sent? That's how I'm sent. That's our life purpose. To be salt and light, on mission, and to go and make disciples. And last of all, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this before we close. I, I see the clock back there, and I'm a human being too. 
But I don't want you to miss this last point. Because within this last point is the headline that is good news that transcends all other sad, bad news. Jesus is sanctifying his disciples. Man, that is a churchy preacher word, isn't it? Sanctification, sanctified. What does that mean? It means to be separate, to be holy, to be different. It means to be set apart. Now, i give you an example I've probably given you before. We have two little dogs at home, one little dog, one really big dog, and I feed them with their bowls, in their bowls. And I dip out the food with forks and spoons. I have been warned repeatedly. (laughs) The utensils and bowls that these animals eat with and you feed them with, they are never to be used by us. Do not put them in anything close to our stuff. The point is they are sanctified unto the dogs. They're set apart. They're different. Don't ever try to confuse those two. Now that I've got your attention, listen to this. How are we going to be different, set apart, holy, unusual, weird, alien, outcast, hated? His word is going to have a sanctifying and purifying effect on our lives. That's why either the Bible will keep you from sin or sin's going to keep you from the Bible. We are transformed and set apart by listening, hearing, believing, and acting on and loving the Word of God. We will be sanctified through the truth. His Word is truth. The second part of this is that he also says that he is set apart so that we can be set apart. Jesus says, Father, I'm going to sanctify myself so that they can be sanctified, which then I stop and ask the question, well, how was Jesus set apart? Well, he's totally set apart. He was set apart from eternity past into eternity future as the one who, the only one who could live a holy and pure life. He is set apart by his holiness and his righteousness in his life. And then he was set apart in his death. On the cross he was set apart as the one sacrifice and the one offering on our behalf to sanctify us and to forgive us and cleanse us for all time. He was set apart not only in his perfect life and holiness, but he was set apart on the cross. He was lifted up high. Then he was set apart through the resurrection. He was raised. He was glorified. No one has ever been so set apart in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. Listen, the only way a sinner like me can ever become set apart by God and for God is because Jesus himself was set apart. That's what he says, for their sake. I am set apart so that they can be set apart, which means I I have been set apart. I am being set apart. And praise God, I will be set apart. So this sanctification issue, this holiness issue, is a past, present, future issue that encompasses my whole life. These are the helpful benefits. There were eight of them. And the question is, are they benefiting you? Or are you back where we were earlier? Nah, I'm good. I'll go my own way. I'll make it on my own. I had a lifeguard tell me recently, or a lady at the the pool in Carroll, she says, look, she says, you come in and swim today. She says, but there, there is no lifeguard on duty today. You are on your own. I said, well, (laughs) I guess I'll take my chances. (laughs) But would you really want to live in this world without a Savior? Without a guard? Without a helper? No, you will die in your sins. 
I want to close this out by sharing with you something I thought was so moving and so touching. I'll get to it by starting with the fact that this past Monday, uh, we had a holiday, so we went to the Georgia Aquarium and we went to the world of Coca-Cola. I wondered why last Monday night I did not sleep very well, and then I realized I drank about a gallon of Coca-Cola at the tasting thing that they've got near the end of the tour. But did you know one of the most guarded secrets in the history of humanity has been Pemberton's formula for Coca-Cola? That thing's in a vault. There's probably only two people alive who know the formula because it's worth so much money. It's guarded and protected, and the highlight of the whole trip is this formula that is secret and nobody can find it out. But here we are, <laughs> listening to this prayer. And God is revealing through His Son's intimate prayer to the Father all the secrets that the Father and the Son share together concerning you and me. It's an audible, intentional prayer that we benefit from because God wants us in His love and care forever. So a couple of Thursdays ago, Howard Scarborough set up at Carrollton Manor Nursing Home a wonderful program led by a lady named Jan Watt. She's been here to play the piano before. And Howard said, you got to be there. And I was so glad I went. Jan Watts played the piano for those residents. She was joy in the midst of despair. She was light in a time of darkness. Her enthusiasm, her grace, her talent. It just, it was a wonderful program. She had us all raising our hands and moving around and singing and glorifying. And then she closed the time by saying, Everything that we do, we do for the love of Jesus. And I'm over there typing that into my phone. Howard says, get off your phone over there. I said, I'm typing in the Jan Watts quote. <laughs> that everything we do, singing, playing, smiling, encouraging, we do it for the love of Jesus. Then she closed her program, and I'll close my sermon with this. Her song was... It is no secret what God can do. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. Hey, this prayer proves God did not want to keep secret the good news of His help to us who will turn to him. So what A.W. Tozer said was correct. You are as close to God as you want to be. You are as close to God as you want to be. Father, thank you for our time this morning in this wonderful prayer. We are so blessed that this prayer was prayed audibly and powerfully for those twelve but the book of Hebrews tells us that Christ intercedes now on our behalf. And so we know through this prayer that, Father, what, what you had in, in mind and in heart for rescuing us and saving us and continuing to work in our lives. Thank you. Thank you that we don't have to wonder. Thank you that this is not a secret, but this has to be out in the open I pray that people would be led to give all, surrender all, lose all for the sake of Christ and the gospel and the kingdom. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing about what we just preached, the goodness of Jesus. Amen. You come as we sing.
fitting in, that we would rest all our days in the goodness of Jesus. And we have a lot of that in that prayer of John 17, uh, how good he is that we can completely rest upon his finished work and rest in his continual care for our lives. Students, thank y'all so much. Amen. What is wonderful. I was going to ask Brett to close us in prayer, but maybe Catherine, why don't you come up and say what I feel like you have moved forward to say um, and close our service, please, ma'am. Remind everybody of tonight. Lottie Moon. Oh, I do need to say <laughs> something before she talks about Lottie Moon. I want y'all to pray for Kevin Marshall. Is he still back there? And his family. His father died this week, okay, Grover Marshall. Um, his funeral is going to be Thursday at Eastside Baptist, which is between Carrollton and Noonan. Visitation is 1 to 2, and the funeral service is at 2. Kevin, we love you. We're grateful for you. And I want us all to be lifting up Kevin and his family in the passing of his, his father. Um, Kevin, if there's anything we can do, please let us know. Yeah, now. Sorry, Kevin. Lottie Moon offering. Um, I think there's two more weeks in January, so Giles and Mr. Jeff are back there. Services tonight, March 26th, the choir is singing Experiencing God, which is based off that Bible study, Experiencing God. Um, and so I encourage you to come join the choir. There's CDs if you want to listen to it before, or it's all on YouTube. Um, but go ahead and start spreading that word. It's going to be a Sunday night event. So March 26th, Experiencing God, and we're really excited about it, and we hope you'll come sing with us tonight, youth tonight, Bible study tonight, um, and yeah, that's all of it. So let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise Him all creatures here below, praise Him. Great week.